The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, uh, deep welcome. Good to be together. Good to sense the wholesomeness, how rare it is that People have the time, have the inclination, the good fortune to gather like this with the intention to reflect and learn a thing or two about the nature of our own heart and mind. And really, there are many tragedies in the world, many injustices, but one of the tragedies is how much of the time we human beings are just running around and feeling quite okay about being oblivious about the nature of the mind and heart. We're just too busy doing the next thing, um, surviving, basically. So it really is a privilege to have this time together to be reflective in this way and to be able to cultivate this practice. And for people who are stopping in uh, for the first time, welcome and We've been looking since January at this very well-known discourse from the Buddha, the Anapanasati Sutta, the discourse of breathing in and breathing out. And it's really an all-encompassing set of meditation and life instructions um, that the Buddha gave. And so we're kind of moving our way through. and. We're now in the third set of four instructions. So 16 instructions in sets of four. And uh, just to review, because it's really good to generally at least memorize, because it really is an outline of what we do with this human life. We use our heart, our mind, our experience to make peace with the body because there is no happiness as a human being, when the heart or mind hasn't made peace with the body. Whether we want it to be this way or not, we are embodied. We have, we're related to this sensitive body, tethered to the sensitive body, right? And this body sees, it hears, it smells, it tastes, and all these sensations we feel. So these are the, obviously, the five physical senses. These senses are getting activated all day long, even when we're deep in sleep. Ears hear, eyes see, smell, nose smells, tongue tastes, skin feels. All life long, impinged endlessly by sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touches. And the mind, the thinking mind, has opinions about all of this exposure to the five senses, right? And we call this exposure this almost endless habit of liking and disliking. And this is a torment in our mind. You know, we're sitting on a bench and somebody walks by. We can't help, help but have an opinion of liking or disliking that person based on superficial things like, the age we assume they are, or the kind of clothes they're wearing, or, you know, the gender we imagine they identify with, or the race, or the class, or whatever sort of way that we evaluate that person. And then we have a liking or a disliking or ignoring 
all kinds of conceits, being better than, worse than, we're probably the same as that person. And this is true with everything we bump into. We have opinions about everything. And even the opinion like, I don't care enough to have an opinion about that, that's our opinion about that experience or that object. And all of this is tormenting to the heart because it's endless busyness. So we start by embracing the reality there is a body. There is a sensitive body, a feeling body, a hearing body, a seeing body. And the first four instructions are really about the calming effect when we're breathing in in this all-inclusive way. Basically, that third instruction is breathing in, saying yes to the body. Yes, there is this body here and now. Not my idea of the body, but the actual experience of this exposure through the five senses. And of course, in particular, the sense of touch. But the other senses really are impingements, much like the sense of touch, the tactile experience. Breathing in, yes. Breathing out, yes. <clears throat> that inclusive, continuous, generous awareness of the body, <clears throat> excuse me, is healing. And that healing is experienced directly, immediately as a pervasive or growing and ultimately pervasive calm through the body. And it's not like all our bodily injuries have gone away, but the mind is relating to the body, to the experience of the body, in a really generous and kind, inclusive way. And that feels good. It's a kind of pleasure that is <clears throat> much more trustworthy than eating a chocolate bar or any of the other ways we experience pleasure. Because it's more dependable. In a way, <clears throat> it may I might be forgetful or there may be some real triggers, but basically, no matter the situation in my life, I can realize there's a body here. I can generously open to the experience of embodiment. And I can rediscover this <clears throat> friendly and wise way of being with the body. And I'll feel the very natural effect of that, which is a pervading calm in the body. The body settles when the mind is relating to the body in real time in a generous, clear, and kind way. And so that pervading calm that, I, that we all can experience in our body, <clears throat> the only thing in the way of that is forgetting to relate to the body in that generous and kind way. But wherever we are, we could be on our deathbed, <clears throat> we could be experiencing tooth pain, being at the dentist, it could be any moment, and we could remember, there is a body here. How about I practice relating, showing up to the body in a generous, inclusive, kind and clear way? And I'll see if the Buddha is right that a pervading calm starts to come in as an expression of this mind being intimate with the body in this skillful way. And we learn that we can count on that. Like, oh yeah, whenever I remember and put in the appropriate kind of effort, wise effort, to be intimate with the body, then there, be there begins this 
pervading sense of calm and settledness in the body. The body experience reflects the mind being intimate with this wisdom and kindness. And we feel it viscerally. Oh yeah, body feels settled. Feels like it belongs. Even though we might in that particular moment be at the dentist or sick or have a bad knee or whatever it might be. And those things don't necessarily disappear. But what really dominates our experience is that way of being with the body, which is generous and kind and inclusive. And that way of relating to the body is quite pleasant. Even if the body is having some physical problems in that moment, which are painful, the mind can always relate to the body in a beautiful way. And from that place of pervading calm, then we, we start to take up this new study, which is the second set of four. So I'm just repeating myself, but it's really good to keep going through these. Each set of four instructions sort of represents a spiritual training. So with the second set of four instructions, we're learning to relate to mental activity with wisdom and compassion. So the first thing the Buddha suggests that we do is to realize that the mind, the way the mind is relating, the activity of the mind, that joy is available. Because joy arises when we pay attention to the activity of the moment as activity. Right. So we're really, like I was uh, rereading Venerable Analio's book, Bhikkhu Analio, a wonderful Buddhist monk from Germany originally, but has been teaching now for several years at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts, and one of my important teachers and uh, really prolific writer and scholar, as well as being a, a wonderful meditator and meditation teacher. And his book, uh, Mindfulness of Breathing, A Practice Guide in Translations, you can get this from Windhorse Publications. And uh, yeah, he was saying that uh, he was giving the example that that experience of joy, which is the fifth instruction, one breathes in, uh, experiencing joy, one breathes out, experiencing joy. So we're training ourselves to bring the attention to that river of joy, that movement, wherever we feel it in the body, in the mind, that the activity of the moment is a movement. And when we tune into the movement of thought, the movement of emotion, the movement of sensation, the movement of vibration, the movement of sound, whatever it is, not to the sense or the idea that it's an object, it's a fixed thing, but that it's in motion, then that's, in a funny way, initially it's sort of surprising, that we'd find joy, like it's enlivening and brightening, lightening to notice that this moment, whatever we're tuning into, is alive with movement. It's not fixed. The more we operate in the moments of our life as if everything is fixed, solidified, I, me, you're, you, this room is this room. So the conceptual overlay of Mark, 
of you, of room, Zoom, Sunday morning practice group. These ideas create this overlay that seems fixed and solid and unmoving, which is why a lot of the times we feel dead and oppressed and burdened by life because life isn't actually that way. Life isn't a bunch of things, solid things, although that's how we think because the concepts and the way we relate to concepts create the appearance of permanence and solidity and fixedness. But the world isn't that way. And, you know, we discover this, you know, in different places in our life, how alive everything is. And we don't know what to do with it. So when we bump into this more honest, actual, intimate experience of life, we tend to think either we're on drugs or that we had a mystical experience. And then we get fixed about that. <laughs> and, you know, turn it into a solid thing, like, oh, that was an amazing peak moment I had, let me put it in my journal, and then it's like mine, or I'll take a picture of it to remind myself of that, you know, fluid moment of feeling alive. But actually, it's the way it always is, it's the way it always has been, and it's the way it always will be. So the fifth instruction is just the strong encouragement to train the heart to pick out flow, movement, uh, basically experiencing little threads or little places in the present moment where the mind isn't imposing in an oppressive way my idea, <clears throat> my fixed idea of what that is, but is in a more receptive mo mode, so it's noticing that that experience is in motion. It's changing, it's flowing, it's expressing that movement of causes and conditions. And the heart's response to that is to delight. <laughs> it's not all dead. It's alive. <laughs> you know, we start to feel enlivened. And that's that taste of joy, that buoyancy, that lightness, is because the mind is beginning to sense directly in our experience that things aren't fixed that they're in motion, that they're alive, that they're changing. Like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says in one of his writings on impermanence, this is this very well-known, powerful teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He's, and he, he has, this is a very rough paraphrase, but you know, thank goodness for impermanence, it makes everything possible. And that's a little bit what the beginning of joy is, is realizing that because life experience is always alive with change, it's sort of, uh, w however damned or doomed we feel, that's still emotion. It isn't like a fixed truth, like, oh yeah, I'm really screwed. You know, I've done these bad things in my life, or I'm, you know, I'm old and I didn't train my mind, and now I'm totally screwed. And we can be um, seduced by those ideas. Um, so instead, we, we want to keep in mind the joy, keep it in mind, keep it in mind, and the more we keep it in mind, the more we see how alive every experience is. Whether it's a visual experience, we see the visual experience isn't fixed, it's alive. If we attune 
and in that wise and receptive way to sound, we notice how alive with change hearing is. Body is alive. It's like the body is experienced not as a solid entity, but as a movement of vibration. Thoughts are like these wispy things that move through. Emotions are like waves of energy moving through the sensitive heart. Everything's in motion. And that non-fixedness or the non-friction, the non-resistance of those movements is what I would call joy. And the more we attune to the medicine of joy, the more the heart that's basically living in constant fear, the heart starts to relax. And we call that relaxation ease. The heart is basically beginning to trust more and more the present moment. And that's that feeling of sukha or ease of heart, contentedness. Ah, ah, this is okay. Maybe this is okay. Maybe it's okay to relax. Maybe it's okay for the heart to start to uh, peel away or abandon its armor, its defensiveness, its layers of fear. Maybe it's okay to be empty of defense, empty of needing to control. And so we were, in terms of making peace with the activity of mind, we really emphasize keeping in mind the joy, keeping in mind the ease. Then what's left is the heart really feels like, you know what, I think I belong in this moment. So that hunger to get out of the moment to Oh, if only, then I'd be okay. But not now. But now that changes. So you could call that contentedness. But the effect is the mind is much more, not in need of thinking to plan my escape from this present moment. You know, or how to defend myself, or how to get rid of, or get, or, or dwelling on how screwed I am. So all of those normal avenues of thinking, it's like, don't need to do that because I feel like I belong, I feel content. And so the way then the mind begins to relate to any mental activity that's there is with a lot of dispassion, because we don't need the thinking mind to get the heck out of it, get the heck out of our life, or get the heck out of the moment, to fix things, to control things. So then we can look upon the mental activity in its subtlety, in its grossness, whatever, however the mind is thinking and worrying and planning and feeling and perceiving and all the different ways that mental activity happens, we could just see it as very much like I was talking about with the body, you know, like a flow of sensations, except now it's a flow of mental activity, like the sound of birds at the bird feeder, you know? Somebody left the radio on, it's just mental activity. It's just perceiving, it's just what the thinking mind does. So with a lot of dispassion. And this allows the thinking mind to quiet. And that that last, the eighth instruction, you know, breathing in, breathing out, experiencing the quieting of the mind. The quieting of the thinking mind, the quieting of mental activity comes because there isn't part of the mind that's looking to thinking to get me out of trouble or to get me to where I want to go. So the thinking mind 
gets quiet. And then, then that allows us to work with the third set. And that's what we did during the guided meditation today. And uh, I just want to step back a little bit because we're using inner pleasure to guide the whole path. So with instruction four, breathing in, experiencing the calm, the pervading calm, that's a kind of pleasure. And then the joy in the fifth instruction is a kind of inner pleasure, the ease. Now with the next three, so this would be nine, 10, and 11, for those who are keeping track, the ninth instruction as we did during the guided meditation today, breathing in, experiencing the mind. Breathing out, training, doing the best we can to experience the space of the knowing mind, the space of here and now. And if you try too hard, you're chasing your idea of what you think the Buddha means by the space of the mind, right? So it's more like resting back, because whatever the space of the mind is, it's here and now. So whenever we're going somewhere to get there, you know that ain't it, because you've just, the mind, the thinking mind has constructed an idea of the space of the mind, and then it's sort of trying to find it. But the space of the mind is here, and the gladdening, that's the next one, so that's nine, and the gladdening is ten, so one trains oneself as best one can, breathing in, gladdening the mind, breathing out, gladdening the mind. So this is like the Buddha saying, honey, really tune into this most refined of pleasures. It's the pleasure of stillness, the pleasure of vastness. There's something about the knowing mind that is essentially pure. And I know that word pure is a bit loaded. We've got some baggage about what we mean by pure, you know. But there's something about the nature of the knowing mind that really reminds the heart about the reality or the potential of non-attachment, non-grasping, non-controlling, not interfering, not forcing, not doing, and not even intending, right? But these habits of doing and intending and controlling and fixing and forcing, they're pretty pervasive in our habit energies, right? So as I mentioned in the guided sit, don't expect this to be easy. <laughs> We're really learning something brand new. I mean, until, unless you've been doing something like this for a while, this is going to be new territory where we're relatively settled because we've made peace with the body, we've made peace with the thinking mind, the system, the body-mind system is pretty settled. There's a lot of allowing, allowing the body to be the body, allowing the thinking mind to be the thinking mind. So that allowing, that settledness allows the mind to be interested in the nature of the mind, the nature of the knowing mind, the nature of the present moment, and to really gladden it by realizing, recognizing the pleasure of that stillness, of that space, of that quiet, of that emptiness of I-making or conceit or selfing. You know, it's because the knowing mind isn't the conceit, isn't the, like, I'm the knowing mind, that idea, I'm this knowing, 
I'm this awareness, that idea is a thought being known. What is the knowing that isn't sort of corrupted by the thought, I'm aware? So we keep, you know, we make peace with the thought, I'm aware, and we're learning to trust or rest in the space and really appreciate the pleasure of that vastness because the space of the knowing mind doesn't have anything fixed in it. There aren't boundaries. It isn't a thing. That's why it's such a useful training, spiritual training, to learn to recognize there is the space of the present moment, space of knowing, whatever you want to call it, here and now. And in the space, there is the activity of the body, mind coming and going. But I'm not going to attend to the activity of the body or the activity of the mind. I'm going to train, as the Buddha says, to experience the space of the mind and to gladden the space of the mind and to still or concentrate the space of the mind until there's a realization there's no self, no selfing, no grasping, no clinging, no struggling, no forcing, no conceit. And as I mentioned in the guided sit, that's a powerful learning. Every little glimpse where the mind, wisdom, let's say, wisdom recognizes in this moment there's no selfing, no self-centeredness. Because it changes, like that That changes the mind stream going forward because now this possibility of operating without a sense, a solid, fixed sense of self becomes stronger Like oh, yeah, as another alternative. You know, the basic condition habit is to operate with a very strong, located sense of me, like as if everything refers back to me, somewhere back here. And that's just a strong habit of the mind. But it's an optional habit. It doesn't have to be that way. But we have to unlearn that habit. And these 16 steps is the Buddhist way of unlearning that selfing habit and realizing the freedom from that. We make peace with the body, we make peace with the activity of mind, allows us to get curious about the nature of the mind itself. And in a lot of the later Buddhist traditions, there's a lot of direct meditative instruction about um, using the nature of the mind like as your contemplation. And the, the trouble here, the difficulty here with this area of practice is um, the skillful use of concept. Because it's very easy for the idea of the space of the mind, because it's a very beautiful idea, or the appreciation of the mind, or the idea of stillness. These ideas are beautiful ideas to cling to. So we're, there's a particular flavor, and it's, it really it's brought out in that uh, 12th instruction. So that's the fourth instruction in the third set, right? So we have experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, stilling, concentrating the mind, and then releasing or liberating the mind. And this is really deepening that taste of release. Or sometimes I like the word free fall, 
you, some of you probably heard me use that. And it's just a little intuition where the mind is realizing, or wisdom is realizing the nature of the present moment, the nature of the mind, free of anything that's fixed. And we have to, it's almost like just in terms of putting it into words, it's a different reality. Because the reality we're so familiar with is a reality that involves some kind of thing, stuff being fixed. The identity of me is fixed, or the identity of body, the idea of body is fixed, or the world is fixed, duality of you and me, good and bad. There are all these sort of grids, concepts that create a sense of things being solid and fixed. But when we're working with this third set of four instruction, where we're really attuning, aligning with the nature of the mind, gladdening that, really appreciating the pleasure of stillness and vastness and the pleasure of things not being fixed. So first we have to recognize the space and then we have to learn to discern the pleasure of that space. It's subtle. And we're not used to keeping in mind something so subtle. Because the attention goes to the things the attention has been trained to go to and mostly that's gross, obvious. So can we be interested, curious about the pleasure of the mind, the heart being unfixed, vast, formless in a way? And that that interest in the pleasure really allows this nature, space of the mind to really come to the fore. And that allows the mind or wisdom to experience when the last bit of conceit, identifying with this beautiful space of the mind, when that just naturally drops away. And that's that free fall or that moment of release, realizing the mind free of grasping. And we'll get in another week or two to the last set of four instructions but it's basically taking the insight that we're tasting in the third set of four instructions and really spreading and deepening, integrating that insight, the insight of letting go, basically. That's really what the fourth set of four instructions, where we keep in mind impermanence, the dispassion, the uh, relinquishment of self, into the full letting go. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But I wanted to read a few things before we end in just a few minutes. This is first from Achan Cha, a very well-known quote from this powerful Thai meditation teacher from the Thai forest tradition, a Buddhist monk who trained many uh, important Western teachers that have been quite influential in bringing the early Buddhist teachings here to the West. And Ajahn Chah said, try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. And then this is a little bit more involved, and it comes from an article that <clears throat> Andy Olensky 
wrote, um, it was in Tricycle in 2014, Keep It Simple, The Gift of Awareness. Andrew, Andrew Olensky, Andy Olensky is a well-known teacher, Buddhist scholar, and one of the original uh, uh, founders of the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies and was the senior scholar there for many, many years. And you know, a little bit into this article, he writes, Experiencing this awareness has more to do with subtraction than with addition or multiplication. Rene Descartes was on its trail in his meditations when he imagined all the complexities of our world to be an illusion. Take away everything with which we populate the story and what is left? Just me thinking. The Buddha got two steps further than Descartes beyond the me and beyond the thinking. Awareness occurs. So this is where we are with the third set of instructions. Awareness occurs. There is a knowing mind. There is the space of the knowing mind. So Andy continues writing, Knowing as an event does not belong to anyone, nor need it be constrained by the thinking of thoughts. This is an alien idea for many in the modern world, because so much of our mental activity consists of thoughts, images, concepts, and words. It seems inconceivable that the mind might manifest in powerful ways devoid of thought. And I'll just pause here. Like even noticing the space between thoughts, which we don't normally notice. We're always looking to the next idea for the mind to kind of organize itself around. But what is the mind devoid? What is the space between thoughts? So now going back to Andy's paragraph Yet you can feel, feel this for yourself, so to speak, here and now. It might take some practice and 20 minutes of letting go of one thing after another. But the simple event that is consciousness, that unadorned episode of awareness, is access, accessible to direct experience. Like the dimmest of stars in the night sky, it slips away if you try to pin it down. But if you learn to release hold of the clutter and pry the mind out of the grooves and channels in which it is accustomed to run, you can feel it spilling out and spreading formlessly in other directions. And I like that passage because it's, it's really um, points to the kind of humility and curiosity we need for this more subtle work now that we're in the subtle part of the Buddhist instructions, this third set of four instructions. Because it's subtle, we're in unknown territory. So more importantly than trying hard is interest and humility and relaxation. Not forcing the investigation, but letting the nature of the mind, because it's got to be here and now, where else would it be? Letting it reveal itself. Knowing it's subtle so we really activate the willingness to listen and be receptive, confident that it's here and now, the nature of the mind. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.